You are listening to the Sound and Faith Podcast, coming to you from Faith Baptist Fellowship in beautiful Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Our aim is to encourage the saints of Faith Baptist Fellowship to believe sound doctrine and to live lives that adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. My name is Pastor Thomas Lawson. And my name is Pastor Mike Johnson. Pastor Mike, I, I want to congratulate you. Oh. Um, I, I had no idea that you were in the running to be the speaker of the House of Representatives. You know, since I only work for the church on Sunday mornings a few hours, uh, I felt like I had more time. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, I might as well try to do some good in the in the government. A pastor's job is uh, is really that, you know, what, hour and a half? Yeah. Two just, hours, yeah. that's it. That's it. That's and it. then a yeah. nap in the afternoon, I count that, and then, you know, on to, on to Washington. <laughs> Why do you count the nap in the afternoon? Is that because you're, like, thinking about the sermon that you preached and dreaming I, I, about it? I named my bed prayer, and so that hour I'm in prayer. <laughs> I love it. I don't know. All right. Didn't you tell me you got a bunch of Facebook friend requests after he was elected Speaker of the House? Yeah. Like all morning yesterday, I was getting texts from friends and things like that saying, you know, making jokes. And then, and then I got, uh, I got a whole bunch, I think of 42 friend requests of people I don't know who were just fishing to try to become friends with the new Speaker of the House. Yeah. But let me just say this. If I had to choose between being the Speaker of the House and being a pastor or preacher of God's Word, Preacher of God's Word Amen. any day of the week. Amen. Any day of the week. Yeah, boy. Uh, well, we're glad you're here. Thank I was you. thinking, you know, too, about this. I said, you know, when we gather together on Sunday morning, we're the house of the Lord. Mm. Uh, you often preach, so you're the speaker. <laughs> Fun. So you're kind of the speaker nice, of the house. Nice. Anyway. So I get it anyway. Yeah, Preacher yeah. It's good, good, that's a little, that's a dad joke light. Nice. Dad, dad joke light. Hey, we're going to talk about a, a fun uh, topic today. Yes. Maybe it's going to be fun. I hope so. Um, and like you said, either this is going to be lame or it's going to be really fun. Did I say that? I, I, I don't I did, know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, okay, so here's the dealio. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a technical term, the yeah. dealio. Everybody now is talking about AI. Yes, artificial AI. intelligence. Artificial intelligence. It means something else in the cattle industry. We won't go there. But in, in what we're talking about is artificial intelligence. Right. Um, and, you know, this is a this is a big thing. Um, if you're not a techie person and you're wondering what this is, or maybe you have a general sense of what this is, or maybe some of, some of you are listening and wonder, we have no idea what this is. We just keep hearing about it. Um, what I can say about it, and we're going we're gonna to give a, a, just a couple of explanations of what AI is and mm. what it isn't. Uh, and then what we're going to do today is actually ask, right here, live, pre-recorded, <laughs> ask AI some theological questions, uh, get the responses, and evaluate those responses. So this is kind of on the fly fun. today. Yeah. yeah. So AI stands for artificial intelligence. And Mike, I, do you think this is a passing fad or... I, I don't know. I'm going to give you the definition of it from from Chat GPT. Okay, so I asked it, "What is artificial intelligence?" Mm. And this artificial intelligence app responded, uh, "Artificial intelligence AI refers to a simulation of human intelligence in machines that are programmed to think and learn like humans." Okay. So I don't think it's a passing fad. Um, I think it is a uh, a technology that is developing. And we're still discovering uses for it, uh, and those uses will be both good and evil. Like there'll be good uses for uh, artificial intelligence, and there'll be uh, uses of it for evil. Just like we, how we treat every technology, every technology that we handle, we there, we we find good uses for, and we have, we find 
um, uh, evil ones for yeah. too. And I think that's going to be the case with AI too. I agree. And, and one of the most well-known, and you just mentioned it, is Chat GPT. Yes. It's so, an app that you can have on your phone or iPad. Right. Yeah. Uh, GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. I did not know that. Yes. Wow. So generative meanings, meaning it comes up with text. It comes up with new text. This isn't just it going and copying text from somewhere else. It's actually putting information together uh, because it was pre-trained, uh, meaning they dumped um, an, just a, a massive amount of information into this computer program to train it. And then Transformer is, uh, I don't really fully understand that, but it has something to do with the type of network that it uses and the way that it handles that information. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So we have chat GPT pulled up. And the reason this is so significant is because literally I could sit right here and I could say, Give me a three-point sermon on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and it would do that. That's how I prepare most of my sermons. Right, right. Me too. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> um, no, but it, it can. And so the question is, is how accurate is ChatGPT? How, how theologically correct is this? You know, right. and, and we as Christians should be aware of this because this is becoming part of our world. It is. It, it is. It's like the internet. It's like, you know, some have compared it to uh, the, the, the discovery of flight, you know, um, all of those things like that. So it is going to change our world. And the question is now, how do we as Christians respond to it? What, what do we do with it? So we picked out five questions yep. that we thought we'd ask it. And so why don't we just Dive in, shall okay, we? Okay, I am so, going to type in the questions in the computer here. All right, first question, and we might have to work at this, but I think the question will come out pretty easy. What What is God like? What is God like? I'm typing in, what is God like? A, wow. That's cool, cool computer. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's the real sound that it makes, that's right? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, it's giving me quite a lot, so I'm going to hit the high points here. Um. All uh, right. Kudos for it to give a lot because God is God. Right. So there's, I'll give it points for that. All right. So it says <clears throat> the nature and characteristics of God have been subject, have been a subject of debate and discussion for centuries among theologians, philosophers, and religious scholars. Different religions and belief systems have varying con con conceptions of God. Here are some common attributes and descriptions of God from different perspectives. So it's going to give us a very general pluralistic with that type of Why question. Why don't you ask it, uh, what is the God of the Bible like? Oh, okay. What is the God? I don't particularly like that way to phrase it, um, because he is God of heaven and earth. But... All right. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's still giving a lot of information. Um, and so we're gonna. I'm gonna hit the high points here. I think it right now. Let's see. It's on point twelve. Okay. It generated twelve points. Uh, let me give you the summary statement at the beginning, and then we'll one hit for some... each of the tribes of Israel. True. Exactly. <laughs> the God of the Bible, as described in the sacred texts of Judaism and Christianity, is depicted in a variety with a variety of attributes and characteristics. It's important to note that interpretations of God's nature can vary among different theological traditions and denominations, but some key attributes and characteristics associated with the God of the Bible include, okay, here we go, monotheism, and then it's got a sentence after each of these. I'm just going to give the, the, the bolded text. Monotheism, 
omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, eternal, creator, personal, merciful and just, covenant maker, triune. It's interesting. It, it, it picks up that. Uh, triune, revealer of truth, and savior hmm. uh, in Christianity. And it, and, it, and it specifies that in Christianity, God is the, the Savior. In Christianity, God is believed to have sent Jesus Christ as the Savior of humanity, offering redemption and salvation from sin. You know, right off the top, we would agree with all those points. I mean, how, how they unpack that, I don't know, but how G, GPT unpacks that, I'm not sure, but um, we would agree with those words. That's the kind of words we use in theology to describe God. He is... Yeah. Monotheist, we were monotheistic in that we believe that there is one God. Uh, we are, we believe in the triune God, so we believe that God is uh, God is uh, a Trinity. He is triune. Um, he is one, but he is three. Um, so yeah, we and you know all those omnis, omnipresent, omnipotent, mm-hmm. all of those words we would we would agree with. I used them last night with a group of guys as we were talking about theology. So yeah, what's your thoughts? You know, right off the bat, not, nothing jumps out to me as wrong. Right. And, and you've got to remember, too, that when you're, when you're dealing with AI, you're not dealing with a person. It is generating this right. on the fly. So, like, we could ask that same question again, and it might give us a slightly different answer, because it's, it's taking what it's been taught, okay, to, to use that term broadly, and it's generating this information— so you can't really ask Chat GPT something like, "Who do you think God is?" There's no "you" there. Let's there, try it. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Who do you think God is? I bet he's gonna say, "I don't know." All right. Yeah. I don't. You know. I, it gives kind of a long paragraph here, but basically, it says, "I don't have personal beliefs or opinions." Right. So we could ask it the same. Uh, we could ask it the question. Who is the, according to the Quran, who is God? Right. So why, let me just ask you a theological question. You don't have to ask the app this. Yeah. Why doesn't it have beliefs or personal opinions? It is not a person it created is not in the image and likeness. image of God. Right. right. Uh, chat GPT AI is a impressive way of processing information that has come from humans, or uh, in the sense of the Bible, yeah. I would put it that yeah. way, uh, it has come from, from God uh, in, in that information, entered into it. So good uses of, yeah. of that information? Yeah, just... I would say good, in, good uses of that information. Research, if you're writing a paper, yeah. if you're, if you're you know, a good starting place to, to, to get your thinking about, you know, what is God like, and um, those, those aren't bad. I mean, you could use this as a research assistant, is what I'm saying. Like, right. you, you know, there's some, I can see some positive uses. Of course, I could see some evil ones too. You could use that. You could plagiarize that. You know, you could pretend that those are your thoughts and they're not. You know, right? Um, and you could read it uncritically. That would be a, a wrong. You, you'd need to look at that critically. You know, yeah. um, meaning you you you'd want to see, you want to test it with the scriptures. Correct. But those are pretty good. Pretty good summary. Yeah. So items. AI also experiences, and this shows you. This highlights the um, the holes in it right now, it can experience what are called hallucinations, which means it gives you information that is wrong, Mm. Uh, but it does it with great confidence because this program is pulling its knowledge from everything that it's been fed. It's possible for it to give you something 
patently false. So it's uh, hallucinations. They call it. They call it hallucinations. So my app hallucinates. Yes, it does. And and one of the examples of that was uh, playing around with this. Sometimes Um, there have been those that have put in, you know, give me an outline, give me a short paper on this, and and then what it results in is that it gives that paper. And all of the information, that paper might be technically correct, but it references books that have not actually been written. And, uh, you know, so those are called hallucinations ah, in that. Yeah. Awesome. We can move okay, on. So we understand, we, we believe those, I mean, obviously it's not comprehensive. I mean, if we talk about the weaknesses of it, it's not comprehensive. It's not coming from a perspective of actually knowing God. It's knowing mm-hmm. some things about God, um, good things about God, but yeah. not, not knowing God um, I, I'd say those are the weaknesses. I don't know if we critique any of those items. When I mean, we, we would see all those items as true, God is those things. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Well, you want to move on to another question here. Let's have some fun with this. Let's do it. All right. So you have uh, we we have here one of the questions we want to ask. It was what is sin, and I think we should qualify that again with what is sin according to the Bible. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to put it in. I have a feeling its answer is going to be pretty good. I, I do too. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Wow. Giving us a lot. Um, again, going to hit the high points. I'll give you the summary statement and then the bullet points. In the Bible, sin is generally defined as disobedience to God's commands or a violation of God's moral law. Mm. The concept of sin is central to many religious traditions, particularly in Judaism and Christianity. The Bible, especially in the Old and New Testaments, provides guidance on what is considered sinful behavior. And then the key aspects that it gives are transgressions of God's law, uh, missing the mark. The term sin is derived from an archery term in the Greek New Testament, which means to miss the mark. Amarteo. Yeah, uh, it suggests falling short of God's perfect standard of righteousness. Thoughts, words, and deeds. Original sin, um, as defined in Christianity, repentance and forgiveness— the Bible emphasizes the importance of repentance, which involves acknowledging one's sinful behavior, feeling remorse, and turning back to God, uh, and consequences. The Bible teaches that sin has consequences both in this life and in the afterlife. Oh, yeah. It's pretty pretty decent. What would you would you critique any of that? Yeah, I mean, I would have to read this more carefully and you know, say there might be some things I would nuance. Um, but right off the bat, generally speaking, it is getting the information correct. Right. Um, it is hitting the high points of of what this means. Now, I, I, I wonder if we could chase this just a little bit. I wonder if... Um, let, uh, let's be a little spicy here for a minute. Can, right. I, can I be spicy? Sure. Okay, I should have a bottle of hot sauce that we bring out every time we ask a spicy question. Uh, I wonder if we could take something like, um, say, homosexuality, and say, according to the Bible... Is homosexuality a sin? All right, go for it. Okay, all right. I'm. I'm. This isn't. We're going off script here, but I want to see. I want to see what it says. Okay, it's giving a lot. <clears throat> all right. Uh, here's the summary statement that it gives, and then it usually gives bullet points after that. Uh, the question of whether homosexuality homosexuality is considered a sin according to the Bible is a topic of debate and interpretation within various religious denominations and communities. The Bible contains several passages that are often dis- cited in discussions about homosexuality, and interpreta- interpretations of these passages can vary. So then it cites Leviticus 18.22, 
uh, Levit- Leviticus 20:13, Romans 1:26 through 27, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Um, yeah, it it gives a, it does not give a definitive answer. Weasel words, you know, like when when Wikipedia first came out, and you would you would give mm. some people think kind of think that it'd be labeled as weasel words, like not you're not pressing in to say yeah. what one way or the other, and that's what what it, what it did there. And and that I would just point out is patently false. Correct. You know that yeah. there, there's no um, like some of the things that it said was true that that people debate this. That's a true thing. That people um, people argue about certain passages. That's those are true things. Um, but the Bible does clearly say that it is sinful, and and it just wouldn't go there. Right. So use this to in you know it, uh, right now off the bat we're seeing this is a good way to inform your study, for instance, you know, asking according to the Bible, uh, who is God? What is God like? Okay, so that gave us some good information, uh, according to the Bible, what is sin, but using it to define your theology in a, in a question like this, moral questions, things like that, it, it d- definitely, definitely does not give a good comes answer. Comes short. Yep. Very, very much comes short. All right, question number three, why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did Jesus... Go C-3PO. All right. (laughs) The thing that is interesting here is it does not typically give short answers. It gives oftentimes very long answers. Is this a long answer? Uh, You know, yeah. I mean, it's relatively long. Um, Again, going to hit the high points. According to Christian theology, the death of Jesus on the cross, known as the crucifixion, holds significant meaning and serves multiple theological purposes. Mm. Different Christian denominations and theological traditions may emphasize various aspects of the crucifixion, but some of the key reasons for Jesus' death on the cross are as follows. Atonement for sin, Hmm. um, redemption, victory over evil and death, fulfillment of prophecy, example of self-sacrifice and love, uh, and reconciliation and restoration. And and they, there's a paragraph that follows each of these. Hmm. Um, Again, not bad. Like those are not terrible headers. No, no. Now, one thing you can do uh, with Chat GPT is you can have it answer you according to how a particular figure, well-known figure, would say it. So uh, why don't we chase this just briefly, if we can? Um, let Let's think of a. Who's a well-known preacher? Um, uh, John Piper. John Piper. Okay. Do you want? Do you want? Do you want to try this? Because I think yeah, this might be fun it. to see. Yeah. Okay. So same question. Um, in the voice of John Piper, or in the how would John Piper say that? How would you? How, are how you? would John Piper answer the question? Why did Jesus die upon the cross? Hang on, I can't type it. And <laughs> question: Why did? You ready to do your uh, John Piper impersonation? I don't have one of those. <laughs> I should. I should develop one. Um. Good. No. Let's see. It gives. It gives a bunch of background information on John Piper. I won't read that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but then it says, in summary, John Piper 
would likely explain that Jesus died on the cross to bring glory to God, to fulfill God's sovereign plan, to provide substitutionary atonement for humanity's sins, and to offer believers ultimate joy and satisfaction in God. Um, His theology emphasizes the centrality of God's glory and sovereignty in all aspects of Christian belief and practice. I'm going to ask this in the voice of John Piper. Okay. Okay. That answer wasn't bad. No. You know, that's that's actually—I'm surprised how— how well it got that. Okay. In the voice of John Piper, explain why Jesus died on the cross. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Is it good? Yes. Um, it begins with the word beloved. Oh. Let's, yes. Let's hear it. Um, uh, you, uh, you have to read it in the voice of John. Beloved. The question of why Jesus died on... That's not a very good John Piper, is it? The question of why Jesus died on the cross is not merely an academic or historical inquiry. It is the very heart of our faith and the essence of God's eternal plan. Let us embark on a journey to unravel the profound mystery of the cross, to gaze upon the depths of God's wisdom and love. Uh, And it's quite long, so we don't have time to read it all. But it says, first and foremost, we understand that Jesus' crucifixion was not an accident or a tragic event. It was the divinely ordained centerpiece of human history. God in his sovereign and infinite wisdom designed this event to magnify his glory. The crucifixion was a display of God's holiness, justice, and love in a way that nothing else could ever accomplish. Um, And then it goes on. I'll just hit the high points of these paragraphs. It talks about at the cross... uh, God's justice was satisfied. Uh, Jesus offered himself up in an act of substitution, reconciling us to God. Mm -hmm. Um, The cross is not only a manifestation of divine justice, but a breathtaking revelation of God's immeasurable love. Um, The cross is not just a historical event, um, uh, but an ongoing source of hope, joy, and transformation for every believer. Um, I mean, yeah, I can kind of hear John Piper's voice saying this. Um, and it, it's a little, it's a little rigid, you know, uh, yeah. at times, but at, at glance here, and I'd have to study this more in depth, I'm not seeing anything that jumps out to me as okay. like, oh, that's patently false. I have a question. It's not on our list, but yeah. I have it. Um, let's ask this. According to the Bible, how do I please God? According to the Bible. According to the Bible, how do I please God? Okay, again, <clears throat> multi, multi-point answer gives lots of things, gives 10 points here. Uh, you, you could coax it. You could say in a sentence. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, in a sentence, tell me how I please God according to the Bible. In a sentence, how do I please God? In a tweetable sentence. <laughs> How do I please God according to the Bible in a tweetable sentence? No, not a tweetable sentence. To please God according to the Bible, have faith, obey his commandments, love others, and seek his will in humility and gratitude. Yeah, see, you've uh, it you've got to nuance that answer. You do, because you have to talk about the cross, right? You have right. to talk about Jesus. But but you know, you you could use those words and they'd be true, but you can also use those words and they'd be false, or they right. you know not hit at the heart of the gospel. So the the gospel, as I hope most of our listeners know, is that 
Jesus Christ makes us pleasing to God, right? Mm. Like through the cross, he died on the cross, he he paid for our penalty on the cross, and, mm. and it is through him that we are pleasing, we are made pleasing, we are made, to use another word, acceptable in his sight, you yeah. know? Um, but the, yeah, those words aren't wrong. Like those words aren't wrong. They just don't, uh, they, they could go a few different ways because they're general enough. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to be, you have to be discerning. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You want to, you want to hit a few more questions here? Sure. <clears throat> um, let's see. We had, why did Jesus die on the cross? What is the significance of the resurrection? Uh, what is the gospel? Um, or... Uh, you would ask, uh, what is the doctrine of the simplicity of God, and why is it important? Yeah, go there. Let's let's do that one. Okay, because our readers they would know, you know, this doctrine. I mean, our listeners they would know what the simplicity of God refers to. And why is it important? I bet it's going to nail this one too. All right. You know, I, I could ask it, I, I'll do this after, uh, I, I'll, I'll hang on to what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask it to tweak this question, but in a very specific way. Okay. The doctrine of the simplicity of God is a theological concept in classic Christian and philosophical theology that asserts that God is not composed of parts, attributes, or elements. Instead, it affirms that God is an undivided, indivisible, and wholly unified being in other words, <clears throat> God is not made up of different aspects or characteristics, but is pure, uncompounded existence. The doctrine has been influential in both Christian and philosophical discussions about the nature of God. Key aspects include the unity of God, the immutability, uh, the impassibility, the theological, um, the importance of the doctrine of the simplicity of God lies in its impacted, impact on theology and philosophy. Uh, theological clarity, monotheism, preservation of God's perfection, philosophical inquiry. Yeah, not the, bad. Not yeah, bad answer. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad at all. Um, uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a little fun with it. Okay. Um, explain the doctrine, or let me put it this way, express. And after this, after you do this, I'm gonna, I want to go a pastoral direction with this. But, yeah. yeah. Explain the doctrine of the simplicity of God in a poem. Oh, man. <clears throat> it's, giving, it's giving me a poem. You ready? You ready for a little, yeah. a little computer-generated poetry? In the boundless depths of eternity's embrace, there exists a God, a single radiant grace. Whoa. No parts or pieces, <clears throat> excuse me, in his being's design, divine simplicity pure and so divine. No attributes divide, no elements impede, infinite, undivided, a unity indeed, a whisper and a tempest. He is, uh, he is all in one, the Father, Spirit, Son, God's three, yet one. It goes on. It goes on. Um, Not bad. That is... Eerie. That is very eerie. <laughs> I mean, it, it just came up with a poem yeah. that had never been written before. Right, right. Um, and uh, granted, it's pulling from information that yes. it's been fed. Yeah, these, the, I, that's that's something to remember. These, these, this isn't embedded in silicon, you know. That, right, like, like these come from people, you know, yeah. like originally, but they're compiled and all of that um, put together, you know, by 
you know, but the inputs originally come from people. But let's, can I ask a couple of pastoral questions? About yeah, this? absolutely. So we, we've just demonstrated that the questions aren't terrible, okay? Right. Um, so let's think about, like, um, like how, do we, how do we help young people to think about, like, how we use this well and, and, and how not to use it? Mm. You know, because uh, obviously there's, there's some dangers, right? Um, but, you know, we, we could have just demonstrated to a young person, man, this is, this is all I need. You know, I don't, right. I don't need Bible teaching. I don't need to read books. What would you say to that? You no, <clears throat> you you have to have discernment, and, and that comes with you know God's spirit is not at work in Chat GPT. God's spirit is at work in the hearts of His people. God's spirit dwells Amen. in those yeah. who have been redeemed. So, brother and sister in Christ, especially if you're a young person and is maybe attracted to using uh, Chat GPT, and maybe there's been a temptation among a pastor or a mm. Bible teacher to say. I didn't have time this week. I'm just going to go make a sermon. Um, brothers and sisters, God's Spirit lives within His people. His Spirit is the one that sanctifies us and teaches us. And so, yeah, don't don't rely upon this for your spiritual insight. It is a, a helpful tool for informing you on informa- uh, giving you information, you know, but it is not the Spirit of God at work in ChatGPT. So uh, you have to be biblically discerning going into this. Um, it's not going to give you your theology that, that you need. It's not going to in- inform your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The thing that amazes us is how similar it sounds to people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and that ought to be the, the, the kicker right there, how similar it sounds. Like, it, it, it sounds like John Piper. It's not John Piper. It, right. it sounds like a theologian. It's not a theologian. Like. It, it resembles it. It masquerades as it, in in a sense. You yeah, know, I know it's not, uh, but it's uh, it's not those things. It, so it's 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 not the spirit of God, like you just said, at work in the life of His people. It's, right. Exactly. It, it, it is simply an information gathering tool. So it can be useful. Like a Christian can use this. Uh, I could see students using this with discernment as they write research papers. That um, you have to be very careful because. It's pretty easy to try to use the words of of something else uh, rather than trying to use your own words, and plagiarism is a huge problem in uh, the academy. Uh, I think it is in a lot of pulpits too. Um, so you have to be careful with with that, not mm-hmm. wanting to be over influenced by. It. But yeah, it can have some uses, but it's not it's it's, it's not inspired. It's not correct. Yeah, I mean, let me give you <clears throat> two practical ways that I have actually in real life used ChatGPT within the last couple of months. Um, so working on our church website, working on our church app, I've done coding in the past, but it does not, coding does not live in my active memory. You know, so coding a website or something like that. And there have been a few portions of our site where I've wanted to tweak something, make it do something, and I, I honestly just don't remember how to code that. Or I might somewhat, but it would take me hours to kind of figure out how to do it again, where I've just gone to chat GPT and I said, give me the code to do this. And within just a few seconds, it gives me that code, and I copy and paste it, and it functions exactly like I want it to function. Nice. Uh, so huge time saver. Um, I, can I give one? Yeah, in between absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the ways I've used it, I found it very, very helpful and edifying uh, to the body of Christ is I've asked it to tell me a good dad joke. Oh. And, you know, <laughs> you want to do that real quick? Yeah. Um, it's not bad. Tell us, you want to do a theological dad joke? Oh, yes. Okay, a good Hopefully it won't be something irreverent. If it is, we won't read it. Um, 
Why did the theologian bring a ladder to church? Because they wanted to get a little closer to heaven. And you know, that's like... That's pretty lame. Really lame. <laughs> Even my lame dad... See, I just want to... <clears throat> yeah. This is not, you know, it sounds like a dad joke, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, another practical, a very, actually a really good way that I've, I think you can use this is something like, um, you know, I come up with a sentence and it's like, is, you know, is there a better way to say this? Uh, or is there another word that I could use for this? You ever had one of those moments sure. where your mind kind of freezes, yep. like, what's the word for that? Yeah. Um, you could type in, you know, is there another word that kind of gets at this sense? And, you know, you're kind of using it like a thesaurus on steroids uh, mm-hmm. in that respect. And, and I do think it can be a good starting point, for instance, if you ask it the question, according to the Bible, you know, who is God or, or what are God's attributes, to give you some information, but you still have to be discerning. You still have to be engaged in reading and knowing God's Word so that you can discern the information that it gives you. So if I have a theological question, yeah. let's say I'm I'm struggling, I want to know what the gospel is, should I go to chat GPT or should I go call my pastor? I would <clears throat> I would pray, call your pastor, call an elder at the church, call another um, Christian that you know, love, respect, um, but don't don't necessarily ask chat GPT your questions without doing the work first. Mm. Um, Good word. Yeah. Good That's word. the way I would see it. <clears throat> All right, so we uh, want to go more on AI. No, I think we're I think we're good for today. I, hopefully, it gives people a sense of what this technology is. It is going to be invading our world more and more. There will be, I think, profoundly good uses that come from it, mm. and there will be profoundly evil. There uses will be that evil come. uses, and that's that's where we have to, as Christians, yeah. uh, realize that people, um, you know, the heart of man is is. Uh, we we have a bent towards wickedness, you know. Yeah. There there is that there, and and we will use things that could be good uh, for for bad purposes. Mm. I want to ask it one more question here. Let me pull Absolutely, my, yeah. Uh, my app here. Uh, how long? How long should a podcast be? <laughs> how long should a podcast be? Twenty minutes to an hour. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, twenty minutes to an hour. Well, we're right in there. Right? Yeah, but I, we have one more actually, so we're going to go a little bit longer with this. Yeah, we're but gonna, this, yeah. this is not for chat. We're gonna we're gonna not use him for this one. This was uh, given to us by somebody in the church, and I didn't ask her if I could uh, say her name on air. So I'm yeah. I, I'm just not going to do that. This is our Q and A, ask anything segment music. Do you have the question there? You want me to ask it? Uh, yes. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> what would be the theological implications for concluding that Job was allegorical, not historical? Okay. So I think it has a few different theological and also like um, other implications that have to do with the reliability of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just say, this isn't a direct answer, but may, maybe I'll even just say this and let you you go with the answer. Um, treating it as allegory uh, would, would do a couple of things to the way you read the Bible. One, you'd be uh, kind of arbitrarily deciding that because there's no evidence there that that's yeah. an allegory and not history. It's treated 
it's recorded like it was history. You know, so you'd be doing that, you'd, and it'd be interesting to know your reasons why you would feel like this has to be allegory. Is it because of the supernatural picture that we get in the very beginning of the book and a few times in the book with the conversations with Satan and things like? Uh, we're talking about Job, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the conversations with Satan and stuff, um, and then James doesn't treat it as allegory when he mentions it either. You know, when yeah. he, it seems like he's treating it historical too. So I'll just say. You would be doing it. This is a um, kind of a implication for the way you read your Bible. You would be doing that arbitrarily, and I think one of the big dangers of doing that arbitrarily is you might do that with other passages of Scripture. Like, mm. when do you decide that something is historical when it when it's written as history? Yeah. And when do you decide that it's allegorical? And and what is your criteria for doing so? Yeah. No, I w- <clears throat> I think that's a great answer. Um, thanks for sending in that question because that is that is something that. Uh, you know, faithful believers have even wrestled with: is this an allegory, or is this this actually historical truth? And mm-hmm. uh, I would, w- would agree with you there that this is this is actually a, a real historical account uh, that is taking place that we're reading when we read the Book of Job. And yeah. you remove you remove the theological answers. You remove some of the punch to it, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is this actually happened to a person, you yeah. know? And um, if you're allegorizing it because you don't think God would allow that kind of thing, uh, you're 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 going to cut short the theology of it, and it's yeah. not going to impact the heart and and be helpful to you in life. <clears throat> we have one more question coming in to us from Elijah Myers. Elijah Myers, who actually designed our logo. Thanks oh, again, yes. Elijah. What a uh, great what logo! It is. It is. We get so many compliments on that. He asked, uh, "Did humans invent languages, or did God create them at the Tower of Babel?" Okay, you want me to go? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I uh, God invented them. God created them at the Tower of Babel, and and before that, like because Adam spoke with language, and God, you know, there's interactions that went on before the Tower of Babel too, and all of those languages come originally from God, but languages develop through use. You right. know, there's a there's a philological development of languages that happens uh, as we speak. You know, and so. You know, uh, people who settled in Louisiana mm-hmm. uh, speak in a very particular way, right. uh, and mm-hmm. that's because they you had these different languages going on, and they came together in the way that we do it with lingua franca, the way that we communicate with each other across languages. And now there's a very interesting Creole uh, in some parts of Louisiana, right? I mean, yeah, from, yeah. Can you very, can you say something in that? Uh, well, you know, I can't speak the language down there, but they, you know, when they talk like this in uh, down in in the bayou. You know, and they still use expressions sometimes in a, in a language. That, you know, you call one of your friends, you say, "Well, you see here, Sha." You know, they say the word Sha, and uh, it kind of looks like C H E C H E R, but it's like a friend, uh, uh, someone you would call family. So they still have those expressions. Uh, I'm not Cajun personally, so if any Cajuns are listening, and I butcher that, I'm sorry. Uh, but you know, that's language is is dynamic; it changes right. uh, all around the world. So you lived in Russia. I lived in Russia. Um, we speak Russian, but there's even different accents to Russian right. when you go around the country. And so, uh, you know, it, it changes and morphs over time. And that's because of usage. It's not right. so much intentionality. Like it's not somebody sitting in their office, a philologist who's sitting in his office figuring out how we should say things. You know, right. it's you know, it's the nature of pronunciation. We start supra segmentally pronouncing pronouncing yeah. things, and all of a sudden the language changes, and we we start spelling it differently, uh, more in accord with how we say it, and yeah. all of those things. So language change, and that's because of human use, but languages come from God. Yeah, and, and like here in the Midwest, <clears throat> a lot of people say rough, and, and I grew up saying roof. Oh, oh um, I thought you meant like the... A, uh, a, like the what a dog? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but they say the rough... rough. And I said, well, do you put on your, your butt? 
you know, or your boot, you know, which one you put on. Um, anyway, that's a sticking point for me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, <clears throat> this has been a fun episode today. Yeah. Interesting. Different. Yeah. We, we tackled it a little differently than we normally do. Hopefully helpful. Yeah. Hopefully it was helpful. Uh, you've been listening to the Sound and Faith podcast. I'm Pastor Thomas Lawson. And I'm Pastor Mike Johnson. Thanks for joining us. Remember to like and subscribe. And Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday. <laughs>